Thanks for tuning in to The Happiness Playbook, a podcast where we explore the why and how of happiness. I'm your host, Neil Hooper, and I just wanted to remind you that life is a team sport, so let's play together. For today's show, we are going to discuss civil discourse. Here at the Happiness Playbook, we believe that life is a team sport, as you've heard us say many times, and we really wanted to cover this important topic. I am so excited to have Larie Florence with me today to help me cover this very important subject. And for those of you who don't know, the the two or three of you listening who don't know, Larie is actually the founder of Play Theory and a dear friend to many, many people She is very involved with producing the podcast and has been an incredible asset to me, both professionally and personally, for many, many years. And I'm always honored to share the airwaves with her. So, Larie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Neil. You are very kind and very generous. And part of Play Theory, kind of a substrata of accept and build, is make your partner look good. And Neil has a master's degree in that. So, thank you. Oh, well, you are awesome. And I, I guess I should say welcome to your show. You're really the one, you know, for those that don't know, she's the one behind the scenes really putting a lot of work into these episodes. So I'm very grateful for her support and uh, making all this happen. So it's very much a team effort and I'm grateful to be on your team. So as you say, it's a team sport, man. Just excited to be roster. This is the team to be on, and we have awesome jerseys. I know you can't see them right now <laughs> listening, but uh, they are they are good. I'm just going to let your imagination run wild with that. But. To our listeners outside of the USA, I'm sure the, the global audience is aware here in the United States, we're enduring some embroiled presidential election rife, and there is plenty of name-calling and mudslinging, and it's hard to not get caught up in all the doomsday predictions hurled by both sides. Worse yet, the conversation devolves into personal attacks. Oh man, you're so right. If if you don't vote my way, you're part of a drug cartel who seeks to enslave us. (laughs) If you don't vote my way, you want all life on earth to end. Well, if you vote for him, you're crazy. If you vote for her, you're evil. Oh, yeah? Your cat's fat. Oh, yeah? Your dog's lazy. <laughs> oh, and on and on it goes until the real communication stops. And that's why we want to address this topic today. Um, or else you might sound a little bit like this. I know you are, but what am I? You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? 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 Infinity. No, I'm not. You are. No way. Knock it off. Cut it out. We saw this level of childish name-calling earlier in the month at the first presidential debate for anyone who is brave enough to turn that on. And Russell Brand, actually, in a video that we'll link in the show notes, he described it as children squabbling in a schoolyard or two elderly men talking to each other like they are 12 years old. And I think a lot of us would agree with that definition. Uh, Here's another little sound bit that might remind you of what we witnessed in that first debate. 
Will you who shut is your, up, man? Listen, who is, don't ever use that word. Oh, give me a break. Because you know what? There's nothing smart about you, Joe. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. We've come a long way from civil discourse, which is defined as the language of dispassionate objectivity. So let's break this down. Laurie, you want to help us dissect that a little more? Sure. So the word discourse, it means spoken communication or debate. And some of us have a confused idea of what debate means if we want to base it on what we saw with the presidential debate, the first one. Um, It's just exchanging ideas that differ about a subject. And then civil, it has two meanings that we combine uh, in the phrase civil discourse. So the first meaning is courteous and polite. The second, things relating to ordinary citizens and their concerns. So you'll you'll see the root of that um, in civilization. So how we all get along in the same community. So when we combine that courtesy, politeness, relating to things that we all share in common in a community, in communication or in debating the value of, but not the kind of debate that we've seen recently. We're actually recording this episode the day after the second and final presidential debate. And there was a, a very uh, notable difference between the two And I think whereas the first debate, which was not courteous or polite in any way, um, people left feeling just just gross. Right. I think everybody who who watched it or saw afterward, I mean, it was just kind of this icky feeling. There wasn't a lot of substantial, um, you know, information shared. There's no substance. Right. Whereas, you know, again, last night I, I did bravely uh, turn it on. And I was pleasantly surprised to see the format had changed and and there was much more courteous and polite uh, exchange. And it was so much more, I walked away last night feeling like, okay, I actually heard the ideas there and, and just thinking much better of the two than I did the first time around. Well, and I think it's so important because We need to be able to effectively communicate about living together in the same country or community or household or family or marriage. And if we can't, then what happens is civil discord. And when that digresses and gets worse and worse, where ideas aren't being discussed and solutions aren't being found, it devolves into civil war. And here in the United States, back in the mid-1800s, folks in the North and South they they couldn't figure it out. And because they weren't united on how to govern and um, issues involving slavery and its dissolution, then people of opposing ideas, you know, initially they started out talking about it and instead they started using violence and it devolved into what we know of. It's this terrible, bloody war where thousands and thousands and thousands of lives were lost. That example is, I think, very relevant because um, that is, you know, it sounds extreme, but that is the, you know, the the manifestation or the result of continued civil discord and and continuing to pit each other, you know, against each other. Mm -hmm. And the only way to move forward together is to lean into empathy in understanding and to learn from each other. And you've heard me share this quote in previous episodes, but I think it's really relevant for this topic as well. But if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And 
here on the happiness playbook, we say this all the time. Life is a team sport. And we really believe that we are on, we're on the same team. And when that civil discord happens um, or, or that, uh, that lack of the courteous and polite exchange of ideas, you know, we forget that we're on the same team, but we, we get our panties in a wad over a scrimmage match. And next thing you know, somebody yeah. it pulls a knife out and it's like, whoa, whoa, what happened? You know, we're, we're on the same team, right? Right, right. You know, because we, we are not the opponent. We want to, uh, we share common beliefs of, of safety and community and, you know, govern, self-governance. And, you know, if we can focus on those, then we won't be fighting Right. And, and we're going to talk about that a little more in detail um, here in just a minute. But that common goal is so important to remember and to ground in, because once you do and you remember that we're we are on the same team and that we are ultimately wanting the same thing, then that helps so much when we have these these conversations. And sometimes we forget that what we want and, and even why we want it is generally similar, right? If not the right. same. And it's it's the how where we don't see eye to eye. And it's it's in trying to figure out the strategy and tactics to accomplish those things where we we do have a lot of um, variety and diverse opinions. And so I think instead of focusing on the how, we need to reground in the what and the why of humanity and why, you know, our, our ultimate goals. Right. Well, I think you're going to play a clip, but uh, just to set that up, the J.R.R. Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring, it's such a beautiful example of what you're just talking about because they're very divergent and we want to have different people, different backgrounds, different experiences, a variety of understandings of um, goals and situations in life that reflect backgrounds that are unique because that that gives us flavor and color and interest in our society in our civilization and with J.R. Tolkien he represented that by having elves and dwarves and hobbits and the age of men or you know men and wizards and all of them like the dwell the dwarves and the elves I believe had had previous wars or I can't remember all the history of them but they didn't get along they had opposing viewpoints on many things but once they recognized a greater external foe that was bent on their combined destruction, then they were able to create this fellowship or this unity. I love that example. And we're, we're going to play the clip for you here now that kind of highlights this point. I thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. What about side by side with a friend? I love that whole story. And, and as you mentioned, it's a perfect example of coming together from all different backgrounds and culturally speaking, you know, back to the elves and the dwarves um, example. I mean, they're complete opposites in every way, you know, even physically, right? Dwarves mm -hmm. are short, elves are, are big. And, and it's such a great example. And I think uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was very insightful is I don't feel like that word you know does it justice but 
almost prophetic in a way to so long ago give us that visual. And so I love that example so much. So obviously here on the happiness playbook, we reference four very important, beautiful principles um, every week. How can play theory help us have civil discourse? Oh, I think it's so valuable for this. So our first principle, which is being present, uh, thinking about just listening. You have to be present to listen. And for those of you familiar with Stephen or Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, meaning they would also be effective at civil discourse. His fourth habit is seek first to understand, then be understood, which is a longer way of saying listen. And it's just so much validation that comes for the other person if you're willing to give them your time and attention. And then also for yourself, if you can be present that helps you to have greater awareness of your tendency towards cognitive biases. And I think it's fascinating because scientists or psychologists who are scientists, I guess, they have studied and named so far over 75 different cognitive biases. And I'm just going to blast through a few of them just so you can understand how if you're not, if you don't have a, a certain level of awareness and you're just going on autopilot, your brain and, and your um, attitudes can take you on roads that you might not, not be aware that you're traveling. So the first I think a lot of people are familiar with is the confirmation bias. And that's that's the echo chamber, right? You tend to want to, to listen to information that confirms the beliefs you already hold. And you'll pay more attention to evidence that supports what you're already thinking. And you're more dismissive of any evidence that contradicts it. So we'd see that it's that is on steroids right now, the confirmation bias. I don't care who you are, you can't know all things. And the world is now so big, and we think that we have understanding because we have awareness of more information, but we can't. We can't do a deep dive on every issue on everything. And so, right. so we can be exhausted by wanting to to have the definitive answer on something so it's it's not that you're an evil person if you are subject to these things but if you have if you're being present and you have greater self-awareness then you'll recognize when you're choosing this bias instead of opening yourself up to greater insight and understanding so that's that's yes yeah thank thank you for that another one is the hindsight bias which is involved in the tendency of people to see events as more predictable than they really are. And that might lead you to be more judgmental of someone who chose differently than you. And mm. another one is the anchoring bias where, and, and I think there are people who study these. So if you're aware, you might recognize this in misinformation or information where people are trying to sway your opinion. But in the anchoring bias, the first piece of information that we hear, we tend to be uh, more interested in, or there's a greater influence there. So it's just like in advertising, right? They want to make sure the message they want you to absorb comes out in a big way. So that's the anchoring bias. And the misinformation effect, I think this one is, is interesting for families. If the home that you grew up in, two siblings might have a different recollection of an event. And it's it's because we're influenced. We, we think of a, a memory as factual and we don't recognize that the event or our memory of the event is affected 
by our ideals, our experiences, our understanding at the time. And so two siblings in a family can experience the same event and have very different experiences. And so, but we don't, we don't recognize that. So we call that the mis misinformation effect. So if I, I have experienced that one yeah. firsthand so many times with right. my siblings. Yeah. And if you don't realize that that's the effect is, is happening to you, then you'll just look at your sibling and think either you're deluded or you're stupid or you're right. trying to lie to me. And right. if you have this awareness, then you can, you can accept that, oh, maybe they saw it differently. Uh, and it's, it's tricky, right? Because you don't want to invalidate someone else's truth about what they experienced. But if right. we're being present and, and also to jump a little bit into let going and playing, we'll be open to the idea that maybe we were misinformed. And then the next one is uh, the halo effect. And researchers, they have found that good looking teachers are ranked as smarter, kinder, funnier than less attractive teachers. And then you can extrapolate this onto other things. And so just might, you might want to be aware if that person who's trying to sell you on something, is there a little bit of a halo effect involved there? Are you listening to that? Or are you listening to the ideas and the information? So that, that one's out there. That's um, a good one. Yeah. And, if, and, and once again, awareness, just being aware will help you identify it. And then you can have a choice if you want to be affected by it or not. Oh, and I love that we're bringing these up as part of be present and kind of this introspective angle, right? It's like, yeah. make sure, you know, you probably wouldn't want to weaponize these and go out and try to call people out necessarily, right? But it's a it's an opportunity for you to look in, you know, kind of self-reflect and, uh -huh. um, and make sure that these aren't factoring into your um, your approach to civil discourse. Right, right. And we want to be effective in life, right? And and part of that is having good information and having a good understanding of the information so you can make the choices that are going to bring the best outcome. Uh, another, another bias that people have is the self-serving bias. So I don't know if anything more needs to be said, but it, it was rife in the debates, right? I, yes. I have done this and and you have done nothing. And so people, you're, you're willing to give yourself all the credit and not, and I think this is the most important part, is not give the other people credit and to blame them for the things that go poorly. So, you know, it's all good for you, but it's all bad if it's anybody else. So, you know, we want to, we want to give ourselves credit, but we want to be fair and not hypocritical and we want to give everybody credit. So something to look at. Another one is, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but it's, availability heuristic bias. So if you're seeing a news report of, um, like for example, a couple of years ago here in our neighborhood, which is out in the country, nobody locks their doors and you know, you get, you've got a dog and that's your, that's your alarm for the house kind of a thing. And there had been a rash of thefts in a nearby neighborhood. And so guess what? We went out and got a big old house alarm that goes off and scares us and causes far more stress probably than sleeping with our doors unlocked because we, we believe that these crimes, even though this was like this blip on the screen, it didn't happen for decades previously. And I'm, I'm confident it won't happen for decades later. Um, I think they, I think they found the people and they were just a group of, of young teenagers, kind of more like joyriding than out for doing any harm. But anyway, I was convinced that there, there's more crime in my neighborhood because 
because I saw that. And so it's, you, you believe, you believe things are more common than they really are because they're highlighted in mm. news reports or certain circles. And so you can start to see things unrealistically. So the last one, which I think is a bias we should all aspire to is the optimism bias, which is where we tend to be too optimistic for our own good. And I don't know, we can debate that one, Neil. Let's have some civil discourse about if that's, if you can ever be too optimistic for your own good. <laughs> well, you know, it's, this one's interesting, right? Because that optimism, I think, is a very, very uh, desirable quality. And I think especially right now, everyone's wanting a little more of that. Um, and so it's it's hard to say you're you're not better off from being optimistic. I think the flip side of that coin, at least where my mind goes, um, you know, being too optimistic for your own good, your expectations, if unchecked, whether it's other people or, you know, hopeful outcomes, I think you got to find this balance of grit and positivity, right? Because right. you don't want to be constantly let down and you do want to be grounded in reality. But I think optimism is is just such a powerful thing. And, and so that would be an interesting debate. Can you be too optimistic for your own right. good? And, well, and I'm, I'm going to throw down, this would be my closing argument, Neil. You have been <laughs> on some of my husband's death marches where we've gone out into the woods for a week. We yes, said, I have. Let's hike 50 miles. And in his optimism bias, he thought, oh, this group can handle 24 on our closing day. So we can add in that day hike up that peak in the middle of the hike. Oh, <laughs> and to his, my husband's credit, we all, we've all made it off the mountain alive, but I don't know if it was for our own good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great example. I just recently uh, joined one of those uh, treks and uh, I may have been a little more optimistic <laughs> than, I, <laughs> than I should have. You know, 25 miles in one day from oh. rim to rim in the Grand Canyon? Sure. I haven't conditioned at all in the past two months, but why not? Uh, yeah, I was I was feeling it those last three miles. <laughs> yeah, no no regrets though, right? You're you're okay now, so it's good. Right, and and I'm so glad I did. Right, so it's always that you know the the quote of you'll always regret more the missed opportunities than the mistakes mm -hmm. you make kind of yeah. factors in there as well. But uh, no, well, that was to be fair. There there is you know there is cause for concern if if you're somebody like if you're a rock climber if you're a free climber you would not want to have the optimism bias right oh i can make that right. i can make that jump and you know if you're if you're doing things like if, if you're living on a commission commission oh i can buy that now because i'll get another commission and i won't i won't be in debt because that commission will come in so you know to be fair there is a very real cause for concern um that you should be aware of. So you should be able to have the self-awareness to ask yourself because you're present, because you're, um, you're practicing mindfulness. You can see if, if that needle is going into that range, that's not realistic, that really could be harmful. So, yeah, so that's, right. those are some ways. And if you, people will have other ways. I love the communication that's happening on the play theory, uh, Facebook page, um, and in comments for the, the episodes, people can chime in and tell us how else they feel like, being 100% present can help with this civil discourse. But do you, um, we can go on to let go and play because it's, they're almost tied together. Because uh, yes. I feel like you can't let go and play if you're not 
being present and aware that you're hanging on to something to let go of. And so right. uh, and I feel like it's, it's such an important principle because so many times we, when we're challenged, we, we tend to hold on tighter and dig in and because uh, we're, we're afraid of, of a free fall, I, I suppose, but you know, let go and play. It's, can I let go of something that I've held as a complete closed off, solid confirmed truth and be open to the possibility that there's more that I can understand. And even in the play part, play is a positive, it's more fun, even find a way that this new information will make my life better and more fun. Um, right. I, I think that's such a great, it's such an important mindset. And it's hard to get there if you're not being present. So you can see that you need to take a step in a different direction. Yes. And I love the sequential order of the principles, which is intentional, obviously. Um, but letting go and playing and being open-minded is, is I think a really tricky thing, especially when people have, have polarized, um, topics and viewpoints so much that it feels like, you know, there's not really a middle ground as much, you know, you have to almost dig your heels in or, or so says, you know, society and culture when you, when you buy into that line of thinking, but that's a very important one for civil discourse. Right. Well, then we're, we didn't, we, we said, let go and play. So it's not just stop doing something. You're, you're, you're stopping one action and you're pivoting to a new and ideally better more engaged, more positive action. And so uh, there's, there's an analogy of, you know, in a tug of tug of war, like let's say there's a big, huge pit and you're both on opposite ends holding onto this this rope. And you, you feel like you have to pull the other person into the hole or you're going to be pulled in the hole. And I think in our society right now, that's the belief that we're all fighting under. And there's another option. You can drop the rope and then neither one of you go in the hole. And there's a lot of land around that hole to go and explore. It's not only about the hole. And we're so micro-focused right now on whatever that terrain is between the two opponents, uh, you know, across the hole or the rope. And so that that skill of, of dropping, you letting go of the rope and go find another place to participate, have action and, and, and joy in life. Uh, and it doesn't mean you're giving up the fight. You can You can pivot and go find another place to build and to <clears throat> improve life besides just pulling on that rope. Right. Uh, so my, my husband had a work associate named Spencer, Spencer Weiler, if he's listening, but he always would say, he had this phrase when the conversation would get just a little heated or people would feel a little uncomfortable. He would say, Hey, hey you want to arm wrestle about that? And it was, <laughs> it was so fun because I think it brought a consciousness back to the idea that is this worth having a conflict over and and kind of goes back to that being present it's like no this that would be silly this is not worth fighting over but that's exactly what we end up doing sometimes with our words is actively fighting so that that's just a fun way of maybe you can come up with a phrase of your own that helps you let go and turns it more playful so i love those examples and that that visual of the tug of war, I think, is really, um, really powerful, too, because I, I think deep down when you perceive that the stakes are really high, it's hard to drop the rope. Um, mm-hmm. But we have to recognize that it's 
that the goal shouldn't be to pull others into a black hole, right? We need to come right. together and remember that we are on the same team and and to let that drive our actions and our discussions. So that's that yeah. is awesome. Right. And there's there's just so much more tools in our arsenal than that rope. You know, we can pick up a hammer and build a ladder or a bridge. Yeah. And, and that, that ties into our next principle. Do you want to take that one? About yes. Food? So accept and build. This one is just huge, right? Accept and build in any discussion, but especially when the the stakes are perceptively high and especially when there's a, a difference of opinions and, and those are strongly held opinions and beliefs and accepting and building I think another way to look at this is to find that common ground and to accept and validate wherever you can. And saying the words, you're right, is unifying and so powerful. And instead of the divisive tactics that we often see, and instead of, you know, digging your heels in and and going in for the throat, you know, Instead of fighting fire with fire, for example, we need to find out what's the water we could use in this scenario. How can we how can we bring the temperature down, or or how can we cut off the source of the fuel of that fire? And there's so many ways to go about this. Um, but I got to say, uh, I actually got to bring in an example here real quick. So pineapple on pizza. <laughs> happens to be a very divisive conversation. And anyone who knows me knows how I feel about pineapple. It is the most amazing fruit. And if you eat too much of it, you will just get translated and go straight to heaven. But um, I've been approached many times about this very topic. So, Neil, how do you feel about pineapple on pizza? And it's so funny because... I've used this idea of accept and build every time that comes up because I know there's there's no usually no winning, right? right? And and so if I if I say I love it and it's amazing and everyone else who thinks it's not amazing, you know, needs to burn or whatever and you know <laughs> right hole with those idiots. <laughs> yeah, throw throw it into the pit, you into know. Pit. <laughs> um but, you know, and then if I go the other way and say, you know, I like pineapple, but on pizza, it's disgusting. And anyone who likes it is, you know, needs to also be thrown in the pit. Um, oh, with their heads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Send them to the guillotine. What's that? Uh, I'm going to get some flack from the nerds listening, the Star Wars nerds. What is that pit in, in Star Wars they threw, you know, Bubba Fett went into? Um, oh. Anyway, that was the pit I imagined. Oh, yeah, <laughs> anyway. right, right. <laughs> anyway, oh. um, you know, terrible death. Insert yeah. whatever version of terrible death you want there. But um, what I've what I've started doing is I've said I, I begin my response by saying, you know, there's a big difference between canned pineapple and fresh cut grilled pineapple, and so for me. I love that fresh cut grilled pineapple on top with some bacon. And that is delicious. Oh, and anybody who you didn't have with pineapple, you had them with bacon because who doesn't like <laughs> That's right. And so I, I introduced this idea of like, okay, you know, fresh, you know, I, I kind of try to find that common ground and, and neutralize the, the polarity a bit. And then I say, you know, now, 
I'll take canned pineapple over no pineapple. Don't get me wrong, but I prefer the fresh cut, delicious stuff. And, and it's just been a way to try to find a little more common ground and neutralize that, uh, you know, right. that opposition as much. And right. so to, to simple a little bit more that you're using that principle of your right, which is acceptance or agreeing, which is, uh, it finding what you can both agree on. And, and I think that you probably have as many people in the camp of is fresh pineapple better than canned pan- pineapple that most would agree with you. And, right. and so then you, you've, you've found that common ground. And I think that's so valuable in civil discourse. And I'm grateful, actually, for the opportunities I've been able to practice with this seemingly low stakes conversation of pineapple mm-hmm. and pizza so that for the, the higher stakes conversations, you know, I can navigate those a little better as well. Right. Um, you know, I, I had experience with that because I homeschooled my children and there were a lot of people that wanted to get into discussions about that. And it's probably a little bit higher stakes education of your child versus eating pizza. But that's debatable. But I I had to really take some time and winnow it down and look for the things that we could all agree on and find that place of, oh, you're right. I agree. And then ask them, well, have you considered this? And, And often I would also find things that I hadn't considered. And, you know, a mistake that I, I saw a lot of people making is there's only, there's, there's one way to go and there are no bad um, angles to the choice. And that's just not true. There's pluses and minuses for pizza with or without pineapple. And there's pluses and minuses for homeschooling your child versus sending your child to a public institution. And so once you, once you kind of admit that there's no, one side isn't all perfect and one side isn't all wrong. I think that helped open it up for actual discussion. And we covered this. It's a beautiful way of putting it because we just talked about, you know, the what, the why, and the how. And like you said, there are an infinite number of ways, you know, the how is limitless to accomplish the what and the why. But it is so important to recognize that there is not only one how, and there are, in fact, many but also to, again, step back, find that common ground in the what and the why. You know, ultimately, what's our goal for humanity here? And, and let's, let's focus on that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and great example. There's, um, You're right, uh, Neil. I agree. <laughs> thank you. Yes. And there is an awesome article on aeromagazine.com called The Lost Art of Civil Discourse. And I just wanted to touch on, you know, one of the first rules of debate is to establish points of agreement. And that's where this comes into that finding the common ground. But in order to clearly identify and better understand points of divergence, you have to do that. And so in a debate, two sides oppose each other, but their views are not necessarily incompatible. And that's where I think a lot of us misstep as we, we just instantly go opposite directions and and look for the differences when in fact the first step should be finding that common ground and you know i think a, an easy place to start is you can already agree that a problem exists and we typically both desire a solution and we are just simply disagreeing on what the solution should be or again how it should be reached oh, and so valuable that was more valuable if we could understand that Yes. And that is that is such a key element here of accept and build. 
And, you know, the hostility that increases polarization, which decreases productivity. And again, Mm -hmm. we're on the same team. You know, life's a team sport. We're playing together and we need we need to keep that that collaboration, that creative problem solving and to make sure that we're finding that common ground right out of the gate. That is huge. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> Get the gospel choir to back that up. I'll, I'll add that in post-production. Amen hallelujah. hallelujah. So we got one last principle uh, to chat about here, and that is to look outward. Larie, did you want to cover that well, one? I think it kind of is covered, right, in civil discourse, because part of um, it's discourse and courteous and civil, it's it it's all in there about being respectful, courteous, considerate. And we can't be considerate or respectful if we're not considering other people's feelings. And we are able to do that as we look outward. I mean, we could say consider others instead of look outward, but it's really just the bottom line. You have to be open to others' experiences and opinions if we want to have civil discourse. And that's exactly what being um, or looking outward is. And I love this idea of intent, right? And if you go into a conversation, your intent matters, especially when you're trying to to find the common ground and navigate a um, a, a tricky conversation. And oh, so can you feel that you can totally feel that when someone oh, yeah. has a leading question, you know, they're just trying to trap you. You're going right. to feel defensive. You're going to feel off put by that. You're, you're not going to be open. And so absolutely. And I'm sure in the debates that plays into it. Yes. And when you go into a conversation with the intent to learn, it changes the whole dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that kind of it was sprinkled throughout. So, yeah. So, so let's have some fun, Neil. Let's let's just do a little role play and we can show somebody what uncivil discourse looks like. And then hopefully we'll be uh, capable of talking civilly. We'll give them a good example. You want to try okay. it? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right. I voted for the people you didn't vote for. How could you do that? Neil, they have done things I disagree with. Therefore, I must disagree with you. Oh, well, that's just great because if you disagree with me, then you must hate me. So I hate you and I'm going to unfriend you. Well, good, because anyone who votes for them can't possibly have anything of worth to contribute to the planet, let alone to my life experience. That's <laughs> <laughs> obviously exaggerated, but I think at its core, it's not very, it's not very exaggerated. And we've all felt that, uh, that conversation play out in a number of ways. So right. I, I've seen it played out on social media preemptively where someone says, if you vote for this, I will unfriend you. Wow. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, okay. shoot, that didn't feel good. Let's try no. that again. Okay. Let's see. Civil, civil discourse. Okay. Hey, Laurie, I voted for people you didn't vote for. Wow. Okay. Tell me why you chose to vote for them. Well, I think their policies will help my family and keep me safe. Hmm. Well, I feel the same about who I voted for. Tell me more about the policies you agree with. And then can I share which policies I value and why? Sure. Sounds great. Wow. <laughs> a long discussion afterwards, right? And that was just us practicing a fabricated conversation, but I could still feel it. 
yeah, and it might take some practice and being being present, letting go and playing, accepting and building, looking outward. You can see how these all play into this. And just like in J.R.R. Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring, there were prejudices and the past defenses between like the, the elves and the dwarves and men and hobbits and all the misunderstandings that were a challenge for the group. They they were divided by those when that was their focus. But when they turned their focus onto something that they all agreed on, then, or which in their case, it was safety. They were having this threat to their entire way of life being destroyed. So once they focused on their, their combined safety, well-being, and security, then they were unified in their efforts and they made incredible strides to achieve their goals. All right, well, let's just review just a few things as a takeaway as we're wrapping up. I think so important to listen and you can even use your reflective listening or as Neil demonstrated in a podcast from last week where you're, you're actually trying to talk with the person, not out loud, but in your head. So you're really being present and do that before you state your peace of mind. And that's going to get you a lot of mileage. Another thing to recap here is to go into the discussion with the goal and intent to learn. And this intention will change the whole dynamic and energy of the situation. So very important. Absolutely. I think it will also help you find the common ground. So state what can be agreed on. Things like safety, housing, good food, clean water, education, opportunity for development. I would say everybody agrees on those except for a few outliers that would be extreme enemies. And finally, an important thing is to ask the person if they want to hear your thoughts and giving unsolicited thoughts or feedback um, can can start things on the wrong note. So you might consider uh, just asking if they're interested in hearing your thoughts. And this can go a long way. This will be much more likely to happen if you've listened to their opinion and their thoughts as well. Laurie, this has been so fun. I love getting to hop on here with you and really appreciated your insights. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, Neil. I, I always enjoy having you know, conversations with you because you are good at civil discourse. <laughs> well, it takes one to know one. You're awesome. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> Amazing. How was that for a response? <laughs> Jody Moore, she has a podcast called Better Than Happy. I highly recommend it. And she interviewed a gentleman named Thomas McConkie, and he's really a fan of mindfulness. And he's got a um, a great course you could do, or, you know, he, he's happy to share how this has changed his life and help other people, which will help you be more present. But on this podcast, I'm going to summarize just an idea that he shared is that right now we live in this, uh, this atmosphere of this di civil discontent and anxiety and all this negative thoughts. And if you overlay that with an idea or the image of like the huge Amazon rainforest and how it takes in all of this CO2 and the, um, the negative that the world might be exhaling and it breathes it in, changes it about through some wonderful process and then it exhales this lovely life-sustaining oxygen. And so that image in, with that image in mind, consider if you would be willing to become the lungs of our planet and taking in this negativity and harshness of our 
current political atmosphere, the contention and the anxietiness, and doing some magic with that, using your play theory, using these skills that we're talking about, and with your awareness and generosity, you can breathe out this calm and kindness and generosity that will help heal the unhealthy atmosphere that we're all experiencing right now. So that's a really beautiful image that I'm holding that I can be a part of the solution as I practice these four play theory principles in the here and now. So I hope, I hope you'll join me on that journey. I love that. It gives a whole new meaning to um, deep breathing, right? Amen. <laughs> breathe in, breathe out. That's right. Thank you for that. Well, thanks Maria. for having me, Neil. Anytime, as you know, I'm in it, in it with you all the way. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have Laurie on the show and to get to hear her wisdom and bask in her light. So, so grateful to have her on. Now, for this week's pro tip, we have a very brave assignment for you to do. You will get an honorary Play Theory PhD by completing this pro tip. This week, we want you to engage in civil discourse with someone you know has an opposing viewpoint or belief than you. I know this is really scary and will really push you out of your comfort zone, but it will be for the better. And we want you to go spread the light and the goodness and to engage with an intent of learning with those around you. And since we got Lord of the Rings on our mind, here's an extra little pep talk to encourage you to go out there and complete this week's pro tip. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West! Thanks for tuning in to the Happiness Playbook. And remember, we are all on the same team. Life is a team sport. Catch you next week.